the artist and activist Alok Menon. As a queer and trans person, they receive so many hateful comments. And it has been incredibly inspiring to see them talk about how they respond to those comments, which is by showing them love to realize that these hateful comments actually come from a place of insecurity and fear, but then to to look more at the people behind those comments to see the humanity in them. A challenge, but is, I think, the right thing to do. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Wakabayashi, and you're listening to Yellow Glitter, mindfulness through the eyes and soul of queer perspectives. This episode, we're joined by our returning extra special guest, Haruka Aoki. Haruka Aoki Shidei is a queer Japanese artist and poet illustrator who is local to Lisbon, Portugal, New York City, and Kamakura, Japan. Their debut picture book, Fitting In, was published by Sky Pony Press in 2022. Their narrative artwork often featured in publications including the New York Times and the Washington Post, aims to inspire individuals with both wit and sincerity as their hand-drawn characters engage in the world around them. Welcome back, Haruka. Hello, Steven. Thank you for having me again. Yes, I'm really grateful to have you back. And it seems like you just had an adventure. Over the past year in Portugal, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely an adventure. I fulfilled a very long-held dream of seven years of moving to Portugal from New York City. So it finally, finally this year it happened. And it's been fantastic. And when you just mentioned adventure... I thought, well, actually, I had this other adventure of almost three months of being back in the States, which was so surprising. But my work brought me back to the States, and now I have fully returned to Portugal as of a week and a half ago. Yeah, so that must mean you really must have enjoyed Portugal, Lisbon, right? Oh, yeah. What made you want to go back? Oh, well, everything. <laughs> the the slow life here in Portugal is really something that uh, speaks to my heart and my soul. I feel truly that I've come home here, uh, not just to my house or my apartment, but the the land here feels like home. And one of the things that I wanted to mention is that I think it was now eight or nine years ago when I saw this seer, so a a spiritual person who can see into the lives, the past lives of people. I talked to her and she said, oh, you actually used to live in Europe and you were a paint mixer there. So when I heard that story from her, I thought, oh, so in my past life, I used to live in Europe. Interesting, interesting. And now it makes a lot of sense. Now, being here in Portugal, I truly feel like I've come home. Was that reading in New York or was it in Portugal? Yes, it was in New York and it was my mother's friend uh, who is the spiritual seer. That's kind of awesome. I, on the side, I need to get that detail to do it too. <laughs> I'm super into that stuff. Yeah, me too. Me too. It actually um, even related to my uh, relationship with my partner right now and in, in this life, I should say, where when we were dating more than 10 years ago now, I always would have this bittersweet feeling towards the beginning of our relationship when I was so happy 
to be with this person, be with my partner, I would also have this tinge of deep sorrow. And it turned out that in that previous life of mine, I think that was about 400 or 500 years ago, I was a man with a lover who was also a man, and we had to part ways. I apparently loved him very, very much, but we had to part ways because of his work. I think he was a sailor or he went out to sea, and I never saw him again. But the beautiful thing is that I took care of his child. So I continued to live my life in Europe with his child. So we got to share that wonderful child together. Of course, it's such a sad, sad story, but it's also a beautiful thing. And sometimes now, having heard that story of my past, I understand Hmm, maybe that's what it was, that painful feeling I had even when I was so joyful in my current life with my partner. Wow. That that is so that is so fascinating. Just with all that stuff and insights, how has it been like to live in the present moment, but also kind of living through these like past lives in Europe with your time there. Mm, I feel like I'm reconnecting with that, that person from the past. It feels like my, my soul is fuller. Like I, I'm trying to kind of understand this other side of the soul that I haven't seen. So that has been very comforting, actually to walk around here in the streets of Lisbon and think, hmm, maybe I was here before. And when we were talking about and brainstorming this episode, I think you shared something really fascinating about your time over there in Portugal, which was around the concept of traveling, gentrification. Could you share a little bit more about maybe some of your insights that were coming out during your travels there? around these topics? Yes. I think sometimes the the best way to see or understand a city is to see what's on the street and what we call, quote-unquote, graffiti. It's interesting to see what people are tagging on the streets. Uh, you can kind of see the voice of the people come out on the street. Um, what I'm seeing is a lot of talk about gentrification, about people feeling pushed out. People, I see tags on hotels saying, hey, how many people can live here instead of people just visiting and coming in as, as guests? And so I definitely hear that, that cry for help, that frustration. Mm-hmm. And initially I felt Seeing that, I was like, ooh, I I know how this feels. I've been on that side too. So I'm trying to respect the culture and the people here while also making sure that I create my, my own space for to nurture my art and to feel inspired. And I think it, it isn't just one or the other, that it's it is possible especially as a creative person and an artist to to hold both mm-hmm. both feelings and realities at once. Yeah. And I think that's so valuable respecting cultures, especially as we travel. I think oftentimes, especially for folks in the West and first world countries, we have a ton of privilege, right? The privilege to travel, the privilege to work abroad, given the resources that we were born into. And oftentimes we forget that there are many people born into certain limited limitations of resources, whether it's um, connections, money, capability. I think I think it's uh, something that we always take for granted. A follow-up question for you: You mentioned respecting the culture and the community. What does that look like for you? Mm. It's really for me to getting getting to know 
the local community? Who is the butcher in our neighborhood? What are the arts organizations that are close by? And also, I think it's it's not just about contributing financially, right, to the people around me, but creating relationships, lasting relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, being a, a Japanese-American in Portugal, I want to be able to speak the language, to be able to communicate through their language. And I will be starting my Portuguese lessons in a week. So I'm a little bit nervous about that, but that's also my way of reaching out and uh, being able to express myself in a way that can make me feel closer to the people and the culture here. Yeah. I think especially the the concept of language is so fascinating because Mm -hmm. language is culture in itself and why there are so many of them around in the world still to this day. I think of this beautiful honoring of different cultures, livelihoods, even dialects. Um, mm-hmm. Follow-up question, last part for just the Portugal trip for you is especially as a queer Asian individual beyond just Japanese-American. I'm just curious if anything came up for you around identity, culture, intersectionality to your travels? Mm-hmm. Well, there is definitely a big queer community here. Just right outside of our house, there was a wonderful little queer festival that happened when I was back here in in April. And that made me so happy. That made me, it, even if I don't know how to say these things in Portuguese. It's it's an amazing thing to be able to walk to your local plaza and there is a drag queen performing. That's a language that I understand and that's a community that I love and I want to interact with. So that immediately made me uh, feel at home and at ease. And as for the Asian part of the queer Asian identity. Yeah. I have not talked to another Japanese person here. There are different, like other Asian cultures, uh, I think that are, that have found their homes here. Yeah. I think sometimes walking around as an Asian person here, I still do get those looks of like, hmm, who is this person that does not look white? <laughs> and that is in a way refreshing. I think it comes from a place of curiosity. And I, yeah, it is in a way refreshing because I didn't get that so much in New York City. Yeah, definitely huge contrast with New York City and uh, insane hustle and bustle, right? Oh, yeah. To the space that you're in. Yeah. I want to pivot us a little bit to, I think this is really what I was quite fascinated by with our follow-up, which was your book that you had just launched and especially working on our political landscape. I think what we're seeing are a lot of book bannings here in the United States, especially around queerness, self-identity, self-expression, and the political landscape in the West has been so, so divided more than ever. And especially with your book that celebrates self-identity, expression, being your own shape in a world where there's so many individual shapes that want to look like one another. I'm just curious, what has your book tour been like? Mm. Well, I should say that most of my book tour was in New York City. So I think uh, that is important to note because I am not going to the middle of the U.S. And I am in a way protected that way. Both me and my work, our identities are protected because I'm focusing more 
talking to communities in New York City. However, um, it has been really wonderful to reach communities that I actually wasn't thinking about for this book, uh, for fitting in. It is a picture book. And I thought I would be doing mostly readings to children. But thanks to my friend Hoje Kim, who invited me for these readings, he's an artist and a painter. He invited me to do a, an event at a tea room. So it was a tea tasting, a Japanese tea tasting combined with uh, reading of my children's book uh, in front of an audience of adults. And I think that's that was just so fascinating to, to think of the story. Uh, it's a story about a little square born into a world of circles. And it is a pronoun-inclusive book. To think that this book, which I, I initially had written and illustrated for children, that it could then be read to adults, I think that is a magical thing. The message is not just geared for, for younger people. It, it is truly for everyone. Mm. And I think actually all, all kinds of art is for for all kinds of people and that was such a refreshing uh reminder for me yeah have you run into any of the any of the difficulties around the self-expression of the book no we haven't run into any problems in person but it was more um, this one time we had a we had a difficult time when we posted a video of a drag queen, one of my co-author illustrator's friends, who was performing as a drag queen, was doing a reading of our book, and we had gotten very very negative, nasty comments, and that was really hard. Uh, even though that was in this digital space where perhaps you don't see the people uh, attacking the work or attacking you, it was still so, so hard. Yeah. That was on social media? Yes, that was on social media. Mm-hmm. Yep. Why do you think people struggle so much with what's happening, especially with these books, right? It's quite fascinating. I was sharing experiences where it seems like if you're reading it, if somebody else is reading it, it's not a big issue. But mm-hmm. for some reason, people just really struggle with, especially with drag queens reading books um, mm-hmm. or even certain types of books. But just curious in your opinion, what's coming up for you when you experience these things? Yeah, I think um, it is, it's like the, the insecurities, you kind of see this greater insecurity that these commenters have yeah. uh, within themselves. And I know that the artists and activists, Alok, uh, Alok Menon, I think their name is, yeah. they talk about this a lot because they, as a queer and trans person, they receive so many hateful comments. And it has been incredibly inspiring to see them talk about how they respond to those comments, which is by showing them love to realize that these hateful comments actually come from a place of insecurity and fear. And I, I definitely have to remind myself of that sometimes because the, the comments themselves can be so painful uh, but then to to look more at the people behind those comments to see the the humanity in them, yeah, I think is a challenge, but is I think the right thing to do. Yeah, totally agree. I was just having a conversation this past weekend with some folks around 
that concept, right? Where you're holding humanity in one hand mm. and this awareness and the realization that, yes, that what we're seeing is this self-expression of an individual that is all about all the dark, dark stuff that they have yet to work through, right? Ego, yeah. self-perseverance, self-righteousness, difficulties. And when they express all these things, also on the other hand, right? Holding the space for anger, holding the space for upset around what is happening because what we're seeing also with legislation, which is everything that's happening in the political landscape is harming many communities, resulting in pain, resulting in death. And I think, at least for myself, it's been not one or the other, right? But it's one and the other, holding space for both anger and also awareness of humanity and I'm just curious, yeah, does that resonate? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think personally, there is with my identity, I think a safety where I am not dressed as a drag queen and I do not quote unquote look a certain way that can uh, seem menacing or threatening to some people. Yeah. So I think there is a huge privilege there uh, where I can kind of lean back into those safe binaries. Mm. And yeah. from there, I think it's, it, it's almost like using that identity for good. I think it's really important to be able to then create a home or a safe space, a warm, loving place for those people who are being attacked. And I think that's one of the things that I want to do uh, and hope to do with my artwork and, and just as a person, being able to create those spaces for, for the people who are being attacked. Absolutely so important. I think I think we see, you know, uh, for everything that's out. Uh, and there's also this discussion where what we see in the landscape, some people ask, well, are things worse than ever, right? Or mm. are things improving? We're just not seeing it. Mm -hmm. and my take on it is we're more connected than ever through social media, through mm -hmm. podcasts, through content. And I think there's not really much room to hide if anyone is really connected to the internet or mm -hmm. any digital means, right? And so I think what we're seeing is really just everyone and everything about everyone and just seeing <laughs> behind it too. I think with that, uh, my mom always has this great adage that the things we struggle most with other people and sometimes things we hold on to the most with, you know, sometimes we get annoyed by people, the behavior, they have anger. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things that we have yet to discover and learn more about ourselves. Ooh. Yeah. And when it comes to like the identity and self-expression, the adage, if we continue it, is really for so many people who are so angry with the freedom of self-expression. Yes. Breaking away from binaries, all these things mm -hmm. are all facets of things that they are struggle and have difficulties with, right? With that reflection mm. in others because they have yet to realize it within themselves. Yes. So very true. Yeah. And I, I, I think I uh, experienced this today, you know, things still make me uncomfortable and, and, Sometimes the urge is to blame it on that other person or that other thing it, when things seem to like overwhelmingly beautiful, really, or overwhelmingly free. Sometimes I, I can feel like, ooh, like, is that too free? Like, is that too flamboyant? Is that too XYZ? And I think that's, that's the perfect 
point to then pivot and be like, ooh, that's actually something inside me. Let's let's take a step back and see what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone and everything is a mirror. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. Or the things that we for me too, same same where when I now reflect on things that I hold on to, mm-hmm. you know. If someone did something specifically that just burrows into my mind, yeah, I ask myself, what is this reflecting? And what about this is so sticky for me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Stephen, what, what is like a way to step back? Like, do you have any ways to do that? Like journaling or taking a time out of your week to reflect or ways of reflection, really. I think sometimes I have a hard time figuring that out. Good question. So I think a big part of that is reaction, right? Mm. When we see something happening and we have this visceral reaction to it, Mm, yes. I think the practice of, let's say, like mindfulness, meditation, all this stuff is to create a gap between our reaction mm. and, and what actually comes forth, right? So there's that internal reaction that we have and the physical outward expression of that reaction. And so a big part of my practice, personal practice, has been sitting in that meditation, having awareness. And for many folks, they attribute a lot of the times meditation, mindfulness to that gap Mm -hmm. that exists now between I see it, I process it, having a pause, and then deciding what to do in that breath, that beat in between. And I think that's really the difficulty, right, with so much of Western hustle mentality or even just the way that we react to things on even social media, right? We we don't have that pause and we as we intake inputs and we have that visceral reaction, we almost feel this need to pour it out directly as we see, as we feel it. Yeah. And the reality is how we process what we understand, how we digest things and the visceral reaction. It's also largely independent, right, for us based on our lived and learned experiences. And so I think um, while it is valid to feel how we're feeling, Mm -hmm. I think the work for all of us to do is really this external expression and recognizing how it might impact other people and perpetuate harm. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I, I always ask myself when there is a reaction that comes out and then maybe I have this immediate missile reaction physically, right? On the outlet, I'm like, ah, I'm like angry, my voice hastens, my heartbeat, maybe I articulate it verbally. And sometimes I have to just step back, take a pause mm-hmm. and ask myself, like, what's so sticky about this right now? Like that phrase mm-hmm. has been what's been able to get me out of my own head and just ask myself, like, what am I really getting stuck on right now versus how am I just feeling? And then using, right, the next five, 10 minutes justifying it. <laughs> so true. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like analogy. Like a good analogy is um, where I, I say, hey, your hair is purple right now. And you're, you're aware that your hair is not purple, right? And you're like, oh, it's not purple. It's fine, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The comet just washes off. It's like water off a duck's back, right? It just rolls off. But why is it that when someone says something else in particular, right, that could also be very not true about us. Why does that stick so hard, right? And that's just like a simple exercise where there are certain things that are just said and certain things stick more than others. Mm-hmm. And behind that is usually a lesson or insight where we can learn more about ourselves. Yes, yes, that is that is very true. I think 
when the lesson is being learned inside me, mm-hmm. sometimes it can, it can be like a very strict voice. Like, oh, why couldn't you do that better? Or why did you act this way again? But <laughs> when, um, when that pressuring kind of strict voice calms down or I can kind of tell them to stay back a little bit, this other voice that's so loving, this unconditional love voice comes in and usually they're able to see that uh, the the me now that had been acting out or was stressed out, they're able to see that that other, that Haruka as this really cute thing, like this really adorable, like, oh, you got, you got mad. Oh, you cute little creature. <laughs> or, oh, you're stressed. I'm, I'm so sorry you feel that way, but you know what? We're going to work on this together or we can just hang out right now. And that unconditional love voice is, is so wonderful when they're able to come out. Oh, I like that. Question for you. Coming from New York City, mm. one of the most like hustle bustle, right? <laughs> hustle mentality. Yep. Going to Portugal, which from your point does feel a bit slower. I'm just curious if even like your self talk has shifted or the way that you even process some of these thoughts. Mm. Yes, definitely. I feel it coming in slowly, but there's this. More like a a main character mindset, if that makes sense, is starting to blossom. And and I think that main character mindset, it depends how you see it, but how I see it is it's full of romance. And by romance I mean so much dreaminess and self-love. So when I'm going out for the day. Uh, maybe to work on something. I'm not automatically going to a, a place where I can work most efficiently. It's more like, how do I feel today? What am I, what kind of character do I want to be in my own story? And so I dress that way. Maybe I even eat what that character would eat for breakfast. And then go to a, a beautiful library or maybe it's it's a bench in a certain plaza but to really realize that i can live out that dream not in the future in some uh, mystical place where everything is perfect but actually i can do that today so that has been kind of softening my edges i think before I would think, okay, like I take the two train to get here and then, you know, I have 30 minutes to do this. Everything was quite planned. But now I'm interested in more creating the fantasy that I I want to live in and that I can live in, even if it's in a small way, like eating a a toast with brie and honey, you know, like why not? <laughs> Is that the breakfast your main character eats? Uh, sometimes, yes, yes. <laughs> Put some crushed, I don't know, almonds or something on top as well. Um, it can be so su- such a small thing, you know, if it's the choice of teacup or the choice of mug, the music that you listen to on your walk to the library or wherever you're choosing to work that day. All those little things, I think, add to self-love and being okay in the world. Oh, I love that. And have you noticed while being abroad in a place that slows down a little bit more, that it's impacted your work in any way? Mm, Yes, (laughs) yes. Actually, you've caught me in a in a perfect place, Stephen, because I am mm-hmm. not pitching any I'm not pitching any projects that have a shorter timeline right now. 
and thinking more about, hmm, where can my career go next? What, what road do I want to take? And I'm also working on my next picture book. And that is also a long stretch of time that picture books take. It's about a year or two usually that it would take. So all of these longer projects are coming into fruition or I'm beginning on that journey. And as for the actual artwork, that has been changing as well. Much softer um, pastel colors, wanting to create more on paper. Yeah, it has been really wonderful to to see them grow, really, to see the work grow. Oh, that's beautiful. For your next project, your next upcoming picture book, is there anything that you can share with us? Yes. Well, this picture book idea I have been sitting on, or it's not, that's not the right word, actually. It's more like this idea had been a small fish in my brain and it had been swimming around for a year. And I am so happy that it is starting to come out onto the pages. I had this aha moment, actually, in Portugal. I had this layover, this uh, 22-hour layover in the islands of Azores, which is west of Portugal. And really, I only got that flight with the layover because it was cheaper to go to New York that way instead of having a direct flight. But again, with creating, like realizing the dream little by little, I thought, you know what? Today feels like a great day to go to the botanical gardens there. So I went over and I went in the morning right when the gardens opened and it was just Gorgeous. So, so beautiful. And that is where my character for the next book, Luca, was born. It really, really helped to go there, to feel the ocean air and kind of understand where this character is from or loves what they love to do. So it really helped to you know, take that little uh, mini holiday of 22 hours and it's just surprising what kind of inspiration can come up when you let yourself be open to what the world has in store. That's exciting. And it's about, just like my first uh, debut book, which I wrote with the wonderful John Olson, this one is also very much about uh, loving one's inner self and believing in oneself. It's uh, about this little, this character that is this humanoid creature with some ocean elements. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think they will be based in the desert, actually. So lots of, oh, yeah, gorgeous landscapes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I think I think in our last conversation, you had a lot of things to share around the manifestation of creatures and manifestations of mm. elements that I'm starting to see and shape out, which is quite fascinating. Yeah, I think it's it's just amazing when you allow yourself, like surrendering yourself to various places and ideas, what can grow there. Mm -hmm. Because when you surrender yourself in some way, you're giving yourself to that place or that idea. And I literally see, like, I imagine myself picking a seed from my soul and then planting it there. And who knows what happens, right? Like, depending on where you are, who you're with, how you're feeling, that seed is... It changes, <laughs> and what grows from that seed changes too. Mm-hmm. That kind of excitement of "Ooh, what's going to happen?" Mm-hmm. is so wonderful. I think that's sometimes 
truly the joy of, of living here as a human. Yeah. And also, I think that reminds me, you had a project recently, right, with the New York Times that was pretty big hmm. that you had published this year, was it? Yeah, it might be. So I did my fifth project with them. Mm-hmm. The most recent one was about block parties. Yeah. Yeah. And you have beautifully illustrated all of these different photos of the magic of block parties. And what's so fascinating is I've just been dipping into Brooklyn more often time and time this past year. And the beauty of maybe some of these unofficial block parties, right? Where people just congregate, play music, are out celebrating. Uh, Sometimes you don't see it as often in Manhattan Mm -hmm. with the inundation of tourists. But it's just so beautiful to see this artistry (laughs) of music, collaboration, dancing, and celebration. Going back to like, despite what we see in the world right now with so much hate and intolerance, that I think innately as humans, we just want to love, we want to caress, and we want to be in community, Mm -hmm. right? And and it just seems like block parties are such a manifestation of that. Yes, I think so too. They are so, so, so fun. And it's just like a a party like it is truly a party and to to be able to do something like that to organize something like that and to participate in a block party is is again like the beauty of of being alive and being being a a part of this world and actually i i remember when um the first year that I organized a block party with my neighbors and my partner, we had one person who was very against it. They talked to me for about 20 minutes, kind of raging about block parties and how they're dangerous, how it invites people who are loud and difficult. It was really surprising to me because you know, I'm trying to go in with good intentions, but then to, to meet this person who was like, Oh, definitely not gonna add my signature to your list. Like a hundred percent hate this. Uh, but thankfully we had other neighbors. Most of our neighbors were very much in favor of, of having a block party. So we got all the signatures that we needed. And later on, on the day of the block party, we see the guy that was very against it and he and his, I think it was his grandkids were having a blast. They were really enjoying it. So of course, I think um, when that happens, there's a little bit of, of my heart that was like, oh, come on, like you were so against it. <laughs> but then later... I was like, oh, I'm glad that I'm glad that he's having a great time. And, you know, sometimes we don't understand how great things are until until they happen, until the example is truly in front of our eyes. So I'm I'm really happy that that we were all able to enjoy it. Yeah. That's a, that's a cute story. And I think it's like in there, there's so many lessons and at least one that resonated with me is the fact that we the unknowing is scary <laughs> right yeah. not knowing something and and we create these image and constructs of it around maybe our past experiences things that we read things that we were told right but there's nothing more enlightening than just simply being with it and being open to the unknown in your case, be open to these experiences of the block party <laughs> that may have been a little nerve-inducing in the beginning, but then sitting with it and experiencing it and realizing it's actually joyous, it's exhilarating, it's beautiful. Yes. And truly, I think our lives as humans is 
is still too short. So we need to really enjoy ourselves here while, while we have it and while we have the love of our friends, uh, sometimes the drama, right? That happens within our communities, but that is also life. And we get to be challenged sometimes yeah. with those difficulties and how wonderful it is to, to then come out of that and, um, see what kind of new learnings uh, we are faced with and what more about the world and humans we can learn about because of those difficulties. Yeah. Yeah. I love that reframe and a reminder that life is so short, right? Does this argument, does this fight, does this disagreement really matter? <laughs> in the big scope scope of life, right? Where, you know, even tomorrow is not guaranteed. But regardless of that, in 40, 60 years, are we going to be around, right? And cherishing every little moment that we have, I think, is, is so valuable. Um, and over the years... I've had friends pass through to different circumstances. And mm-hmm. I have this adage that I've built with myself that's been to honor people that have passed by living out their truth for them on behalf, right? Yes. And just really honoring them as individuals and doing maybe the things that they could have been doing that they're not around to. And so... At least that's been able to get me out of my own head sometimes. I'm like, okay, I'll go to that, <laughs> you know, even though past Stephen may have not. But yeah, that's uh, that mortality and the aspect that things are never guaranteed is also such a huge Buddhist yeah. way of life too, right? That things are ever-changing even when we don't see it. I think one Buddhist proverb it's a little grim, but it's real as we start dying the day that we are born. Mm-hmm. Even though in the beginning, it does appear that we are growing, right? Thriving, where, but we actually do begin the cycle of death, right? That's that we are born, that there is this point in which ourselves, our body, our physical aspect of self, right? just simply moves on, right, into the next stage. Yeah, yeah. It also reminds me of the quote by Martin Luther, who said, um, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. Mm. And it, it does feel a little bit weird that I'm quoting, like, <laughs> Martin Luther, um, who is like a German priest from the 16th century. However, uh, there's inspiration everywhere. Yeah. And yeah, I totally am that kind of person. Definitely planting apple trees in the at the end of the world. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you have me both. I invite me. We'll be planting <laughs> apple trees together as the yeah. world. <laughs> exactly, in a ring of fire where we're picking some apples. <laughs> we will be enjoying fruits of our labor. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That last bite is going to taste so good. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so coming up in this new year, what are you thinking about manifesting aside from the book launch and release and the creation? Is there anything else that's coming up for you as intention setting for the upcoming future? Hmm. Yes. I, when I do intention setting, it is definitely the intention setting is done with intention. And I feel myself going kind of back to my roots, my initial roots in fashion. 
Passion is a beautiful thing. Uh, it's transformation. It's self-expression. It's it is also community. And I would love, love, love to collaborate with with brands, especially luxury brands that really are good at creating dreams and beauty and also hopefully their products are also that way where it is good for the planet or it is made with care and those are the people and the worlds that I would like to collaborate and be in and also luxury doesn't have to be just financially right like luxury is very much I was just thinking of TikTok. It's almost like a way of life, a mm-hmm. way of intentionality. Yes. You can even make anything luxurious, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And what's interesting is that so many of these so-called luxury products, they they happen to be very old, old ways of making, like linen or silk. We've uh, been creating those types of products for many, many, like hundreds of years. And I think it's interesting that luxury is not like this, this moon cloth. It's, it's actually stuff that is very much from the land and it takes time. And it's, it's been loved for, for ages by so many people and it's been working for so long. So to me, that is truly what is luxurious and it's yeah something that that lasts a long time and that we can love for a long time and we are coming to the near of our podcast and a few last questions for you before swan being what lesson or insight would you like our listeners to take away with from our conversation or just where you are in your life right now? Yeah, I, we talked a lot about dreaming and intention setting with intention. And a lot of that, I want to say, is true. I love to encourage people to not just think of a dream as something that, yeah, maybe one day I'll do it. That seems so far away, but you know, maybe like, well, if you, if you truly want that for yourself, my advice is to dream with specificity, dream with specificity. Can you imagine yourself maybe at a cafe with, uh, with a silk scarf (laughs) in which city are you? Who are you with? What time of day is it? What are you working on? What What is that dream thing that you're working on? Where are you going next? Like, do you have a date with someone? <laughs> do you have a show to go to? Maybe front row seats to something. To really dream with specificity so that you can actually imagine yourself doing those things. And then once you have that dream set in full color, in high definition, you can work back from that and think, oh, how did I get there? How did that like wonderful me get there? And to think of those strategies like, oh, okay, so me in a year is getting like front row seats at some like a fashion show, let's say, or or a concert. Well, how did I get there? Oh, like, okay, I maybe connected with these people who are in that industry, or maybe I booked a job with them. So it starts to really be clear in terms of how how you did get to that dream of yours. Those stepping stones get much clearer once you really illustrate that rich dream and work back to now. I love it. And I also love how that speaks to your artistry too. I think 
illustrations, just all you do. I always notice there's just so much attention to detail. <laughs> it's like, what scarf are they wearing? What is the material? How does it reflect? It's just not like oh, gorgeous. Uh, second question, what is bringing you joy lately? So my friends have been giving me so much joy lately. They inspire me so much. The dedication to their craft really, really inspires me. And on top of that, their kindness. I recently stayed with a friend. Uh, she's a novelist, Grace Liu. We were in Brooklyn. And wow, just every day we would have these small but beautiful interactions, whether it's working together at a cafe, outside, under some apple trees, actually. And both of us working on our craft. She was working on her novel. I was working on some illustrations. And just this beautiful stretch of quiet time where we can really trust in each other's friendship and respect that we have for each other. While also in the evening, just laughing our butts off, <laughs> talking about our, our college years and some of the pretty, pretty stupid things we've done together, <laughs> but just laughing and having a great time. So I, I just am so inspired by artist friends who, who create time for joy and realness and their craft. Mm, beautiful. Anyone you want to shout out in particular? Yeah, so I was with um, the wonderful novelist and poet Grace Liu. And recently I've been hanging out with a very talented pattern designer from Canada, Elizabeth Alwyn, who's also in Lisbon, which is fantastic. So we were able to do some cafe dates uh, that then turned into lunch dates. It just keeps going. When you have so much fun, the conversation just stretches out into the afternoon. <laughs> and I think also lately, my friend, Dr. Anthony Ureña, who is a sociologist currently at Rutgers University, he is such an inspiration to me. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, manifestation and reaching for the stars. So um, those people have been just wonderful, wonderful friends. Beautiful. And then lastly, but not least, if people want to reach out to you. So they can find me on Instagram. I am the Cosmic Haruka. And my website is my name, harukaoki.com. Wonderful. And if you want to learn more about Yellow Glitter, you can visit our website at yellowglitterpodcast.com or find us on social media, Yellow Glitter PD. Yeah. And also, if you liked our episode, feel free to give it a review. Reviews are how we get discovered on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. And so give us your thoughts if you enjoyed this episode with Haruka. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we touched on so many things and I also love your presence. And uh, whenever you have a response to any of the questions, I also notice a lot of just intentionality with your words, your answers, and... I think I'm already seeing a ton of Portugal's influence <laughs> in you as a person, as a friend. <laughs> and so I appreciate you being back. Oh, I appreciate you too. I love you very, very much. Thank you. Likewise, in that conversation, hopefully, uh, listeners, you take a lot out of this and maybe it's that opportunity to Go travel, go see something new, set up a bit more intentionality, your work, voice, your action. 
And so with that, our podcast now comes to a close. Thank you for listening. And we hope your day can be just a bit more mindful, a bit more intentional, and a bit more joyous. Thank you. Till next time. Bye now. Bye.